the one that just kills me is you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free out of John. The truth in John is talking about Jesus, not about your political philosophy or your worldview. So you've got to pay the price to know the Bible for yourself. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Tribe Exchange. If you've ever wondered if you or those you know are interpreting the Bible correctly, we really hope that this episode helps. If it does, please give us a like, a share, a subscribe. It means so much. Thanks. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Tribe Exchange. Uh, we're so excited today to have Bob Utley on the show with us. Uh, Bob has been a pastor and a professor for 51 years. He holds a master's in divinity from Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary and a doctorate in ministry from the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, Bob has held faculty positions at several uh, colleges here in the U.S., uh, such as East, East Texas Baptist University, uh, as well as positions and universities in Armenia, Serbia, Haiti, and Mexico. Uh, he's taught several TV radio commission series, uh, including Verse by Verse and Life and Work, and currently is also the content creator and curator of freebiblecommentary.org, uh, which also has a YouTube channel that's doing great, has about 20,000 subscribers, uh, and his commentaries have been included in the Logos Bible uh, software, which is really cool. Uh, I learned about uh, Bob through YouTube and searching for commentaries for uh, my own sermon preparation. So uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show today, Bob. Welcome. My joy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here, and uh, I was asking, you know, how how long ago you started uh, making some of the videos that are on YouTube right now, and uh, you said, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Right. So you were a content creator long before. It was uh, it was trending, and uh, right. yeah, I just love your stuff. It's evergreen. It's it's uh, top notch quality commentary, and uh, I love your heart to make it free and accessible to everybody. So very cool. And I Thank should you, mention that you've made your commentary all the way through uh, the entire uh, scriptures from uh, the Christian Bible, which is I think you just you said you just finished it two years ago, right. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. So uh, we'd love to hear a little bit uh, from all of our guests, a little bit of background story. And so we'd love if you'd briefly share with us, uh, how did you come to have such a passion for the scriptures? Yeah, um, I'm amazed. I surrendered to preach at a First Baptist Church of Bel Air. And I remember sitting in the church saying to myself, you know, I want to be a Bible commentary uh, who does that? Who yeah. wants to be a Bible commentary person? But from the very beginning, I wanted that. And I guess some of the exciting things happened. Um, I got a call from Bill Bright, and he wanted to use my New Testament commentaries for a CD that he was going to put together for Campus Crusade people worldwide in 50 languages. Man, that was so exciting to me. Uh, but he passed away, and that never got finished. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching in Haiti, and I remember I remember the Sunday I walked out of a church, I understood nothing, and I just felt God say to me, Bob, go home and give it all away. So those two kind of uh, pointers in my life, um, I went home and we developed a CD of all the commentaries I had then, and we mailed 150,000 of those away worldwide. Wow. And, um, I sent them to a mosque and Hindu temples and uh, every place I could to try to 
give somebody an exegetical, non-denominational model for understanding Scripture. Wow, that's fantastic. And uh, I think you said you, you developed close to 1,200 lessons overall. Is that right? Right. And uh, through the years, we have had those translated now into 48 languages. Um, every language doesn't have the full set, but God has really provided a lot of funds for me to do that. I think that I have spent over two and a half million dollars on foreign translations. Wow. Particularly in countries that have no publisher will go into because they can't get their money back out, like Croatia, Albania, uh, Iran, Iraq, um, North Africa, those kind of countries. That's so inspiring. That uh, and, and it's all for free. It's all content. It's all that for free. Free. That is absolutely. That is amazing. Well, I, I I know your wheelhouse is hermeneutics, and that's your, your love. And uh, for some of our <laughs> listeners, that may be a strange word. They may be going, what, what language is that even? So maybe you could just give us, what's your definition of hermeneutics? Sure. Well, hermeneutics comes from a, a Greek verb, hermeneueo, which means to understand or interpret. And of course, it comes from Hermes, uh, one of the pagan gods, mythological gods, the god to bring a message or interpret a message. So it's just become an academic way of talking about principles of Bible interpretation. So essentially, it's the it's the tools that we apply to interpreting scriptures. Is that a well? I would say the tools we usually call that exegesis, another Greek word to lead out. And what hermeneutics is is the principles that informs how we do exegesis. Okay, great. Um, and and are there two or three or five top principles we could be aware of yes. and thinking about? And um, I, I'm shouting now. Do you see me and hear me shouting? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think the, the real problem in modern Bible interpretation, there are two of them. The Bible is an Eastern book and mm -hmm. we are Western literalist. And the second is the key to understanding an ancient text and we believe as Christians, an inspired ancient text is the intent of the original author. So this serendipity stuff, what does it mean to you, is absolutely irrelevant in interpretation. Now, in application, it's significant. But what I ask Christians, pastors, Sunday school teachers, could what you're saying have been understood by the first hearers? Now, the mm -hmm. way we find that is we have to go to the historical setting of the original only inspired person in Bible study. And then we have to look at the recipients. What was he trying to say? Who was he saying it to? Now, this is that series of who, what, when, where, why questions. Right. But this is where we must start. Not your day, not your denomination, not yeah. your problem. Yeah. So it's, it's context, context, context. And historical and literary. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. You know, that, that when I started to kind of lean into that approach to the scriptures, and I've been, you know, a follower of Jesus for about 18 years now and mm. um, studying the Bible every day, really, in that period of time, uh, or nearly every day in that period of time, and then in professional ministry and, and preparing lessons. But when I started to lean into that idea of, of, of the context and, and what you said, you know, that it can't mean today what it didn't mean then, right? It can't mean to us right. what it didn't mean to the hearers, the original hearers. Yeah. Um, exactly. That really transformed how I understood the scriptures and in turn was able to communicate the scriptures 
right. to others, which is which is because we have an evidence. We, we're not just saying, here's my opinion. Right. We're saying, look, it, I don't want you to agree with me, but please check my biblical evidence. Yeah. I used to kid, kid students uh, just because I say something you never heard doesn't mean I'm weird. You might be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Show me where you got it. Then let me pray about it. Let me study it sure. and then let me walk in the light I have from the Bible and the spirit. Yeah. Well, and where I am here in Austin, Texas, uh, it is a it's the number one city uh, for millennials in Texas to move to. It's the number four city in the country. And so much of our congregation are, you know, late 20s, 30s folks. And and quite honestly, the, the personal interpretation that they've heard from the pulpit right? Uh, Many times growing up has kind of left a bad taste in their mouth. And and what I've found is that uh, people, especially in my demographic, my age group, are yearning to be, um, to have their intelligence appealed to when it comes to the scriptures and and for the scriptures to come to life, not solely in an academic way, but definitely in a way that honors the the authority and the context in which they were written. So, and the personhood of the you know every one of us has the holy spirit yeah. uh, i can't say to you my holy spirit's better than yours no 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 i can't do that sure. but here's the evidence i think you need to look at and of course what has happened to us is we get indoctrinated by where we go to church and suddenly we start using a systematic theology yeah. that quite often is not based on exegesis but based on human tradition as good as as that is so i think it's fair to ask anybody who claims to speak for god can you show me in the bible where you got that yeah and then i have a right to check it on my own yeah that's right to be that that berean right that that type exactly. of study yeah, yeah. What, what do you think people i mean maybe that's it is that what people get wrong most when they try to approach the bible maybe they're maybe they're new to the scriptures maybe they're just maybe they're atheists and they're looking to you know create arguments against the scriptures but they're approaching the scriptures what is it that people most get wrong in their relationship with the bible well i think for americans what we get wrong is that we proof text we say things like the bible says it that settles it that is not true yeah. If the Bible says it, it, I take it seriously because it's the word of God. But then I must find out what else the Bible says on the same subject, yeah. because Eastern literature presents truth in dialectical tension filled pairs. Mm. And Americans don't think that way. So what they do is let a systematic theology put a grid over the Bible, affirm some text, ignore other text and bend the text they can. So what there's what they tend to do is either say what this means to me, which is a serendipity approach, which I think is invalid, or they quote folks within their denomination or their favorite preacher. And they don't give the individual Christian the right and the mandate to study for themselves. And and one more point there. I want to remind you that every book of the Bible is a unified message. And then what we do is we must go through books. We can't jump here and there and get one from Daniel, one from Matthew, two from Revelation, one from. We can't do that because then it's our message we're presenting. Let Paul present it. Uh, Let Isaiah present it. Follow their outline. Follow their train of thought. Yeah. And one more point that I'm just really committed to. Love it. Paragraph is the smallest part of the Bible we Mm. should ever try to interpret because. Mm. There's English teachers listening, and I know they're in your church. 
paragraphs, although the Bible does not mark them, they all have a central topic, a central theme, a central sentence. We cannot let a minor point or a minor phrase dominate when we haven't paid the price to understand the Bible at a paragraph level. Yeah. So, you know, it's not to say, and I, I think you would agree, it's not to say that God can't, you know, use a scripture or a verse or a line to, to really impact something in your heart or to open up your mind to a new insight about him or about what it means to follow Jesus or to love others. But in interpreting the Bible, we can't cherry pick these scriptures to try to build right. a some sort of theology out of these different, you know, one or two verses here and there, but to really to look at it as a whole. Uh, I love what you said about, you know, I don't know, I can't remember the exact language that you used, but but kind of the hyperlinks of scripture, right? That scriptures are telling the same story in different ways from different authors. What was it? There's a narrative in these books and we yeah. miss that because we're Western. Um, I would say also, I think I have found in my life that the Holy Spirit bends over backwards for hungry, lost people, hurting people, doubting people. That's true. And they might be able to use the Bible in those kind of settings in a way you were talking about. Yeah. But once you are hermeneutically informed, then that approach is closed forever to you mm. because that really is a, a more about what it means to me approach than yeah. it is a textually based approach. It's kind of the milk versus the, the it's meat. It's the milk versus the meat. Yes. And we can stay on milk our whole life. And that's the problem of too many preachers is just preaching the milk they've heard and like. Yeah. Well, well let me ask you in your, in your time of, you know, more than 50 years of ministry now and, and having worked with uh, professed Christians around the world, um, what, what do you think it is that holds most Christians back from actually studying the Bible? Because, you know, I, I can't pull out the research study right now, but I've read them in the past that the percentages, unfortunately, are, are pretty low for, you know, church attending uh, professed Christians that actually on a regular basis study their scriptures. Um, why do you think well, there's a lot of things? Uh, there's a lot of things. One of them is I think that too many Christians think that Christianity is a one hour a week in a building where they sit and watch. Yeah. And of course, we, it's not a ticket to heaven and it's not a building and it's not one hour a week. The other, they, they tend to go to scripture just to answer an immediate question they have instead of give to get a biblical worldview. We've got to get the biblical worldview before we can start dealing with individual needs and problems. So what I found is Christians don't see Bible interpretation as their responsibility. They're going to mm -hmm. give it to the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. And that's that's a problem, because what happens when the pastor changes and the theology changes? Mm -hmm. So we've got to. And I guess if somebody asked me to try to in a in a nutshell, uh, summarize what my ministry is about. I want to make Christians hungry to self feed and give them the tools to do it themselves and not call me every time they have a question. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's, you know, honestly, that's what I feel like your commentaries do well is they're, um, right. they're, uh, they're certainly informative and uh, it's a teaching ministry, but it's also, you know, um, it's, it's teaching you how to study at the same time, right? right. There's this yes. uh, implied uh, thing that we're seeing happen uh, as you walk through the study of the scriptures in each of these uh, these series right. that you do. Real quick, I just mentioned to you that what my exegesis is based on uh, 
trying to find the original author's intent, which I'm never 100% sure I do. Sure. But I use six areas. And when I, if I can, I bring evidence from those six areas. And that's going to be historical setting, literary context, unique grammatical features, contemporary meaning of words, genre, and parallel passages. Now, what I try to do is say, here is the six areas of evidence that I'm going to say to you, this is what I think the author was trying to say to the original hearers. Now, we have to apply that to our day, and there is more freedom there, but we must start with the original author's intent before we go to application. Yeah, so context has to has to precede yes. personal application. Yes. If we're if we're going to yes. attempt to get this right in any way, right? Right. And another thing real quickly, I'm, I'm so glad to get to be with you. Yeah, People say to me, well, the Holy Spirit told me what this means. And I always say to them, well, you ought to be so grateful. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. Thank God. But I'm not responsible for what the Holy Spirit says to you unless you can show me in the Bible. You must live up to it. You must walk in that light. Mm. But I don't live up to your light. I must. You must show me in the Bible where you're getting that. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I think that's, you know, there is a, um, uh, someone call it maybe a progressive approach to interpreting the scriptures right now. There's a progressive Christianity that's on the rise. And, um, and much of it is kind of that, that approach of, of reading into, almost reading in between the lines of what's in scripture, right? So um, uh, as you think about that, and I'm, I don't know if you're experiencing that much in some of your ministry and some of that being on the rise, you probably have a longer scope than I do of con context. Let me give you one example of that. Yeah. I've I got one really good example I thought about sharing with you. Yeah. You know, there's a, a real trend today to talk about a secret rapture, right? Okay. Secret rapture. Yeah. And the only place in the Bible the raptures talk about is First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. There is nothing in that text about a secret rapture. Yeah. There is nothing in that text about a millennium. Nothing. But what has happened, people have strung a bunch of verses together and they imply that they're linking those verses together has the same authority as the verses themselves. Mm. So suddenly we pre we're presenting something that fits a, a view that I don't think is biblical. So real, of course I'm talking about dispensationalism. Sure. And of course they have two presuppositions that I think are not biblical. The church and Israel are totally separate. I don't think that's biblical. I read Paul. I know that's not true. And secondly, that all prophecy has to be literally fulfilled to Israel. That's a misunderstanding of prophecy. Yeah. And Jonah is a good example. Jonah preached and nothing he said happened because Nineveh repented. Prophecy, there's three kinds, historical accuracy, amen, multiple fulfillment like the virgin birth, but also here's what's going to happen if you don't change. And right. what we do as Western literalists is we just make it all level and say the Bible says it, that settles it. Right. And we tend to, at least in some you know, streams of the Christian tradition, we tend to attach it to a nation that we may be politically at war with at times or you know, yeah. uh, whatever is happening in our era politically, we kind of att attach it to these movements across the, the globe. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you this then, you know, I think for a lot of folks, they, and, and maybe even critics of the Bible, right? They'll look at the Bible and they'll say, well, well, 
the Bible has errors, right? And it's not it's not this perfect document, and uh, and certainly the manuscripts will show some discrepancies. They're minimal. I think we all have realized that over time. But um, but there's these critiques of the Bible and its imperfection, and at the same time, there's kind of a again a tr- Christian tradition that the Bible has been handed down on from on high as kind of a perfect document, uh, and and. And, and yet I think more people are starting to understand that there's some human interaction with the writing of these scriptures. Um, how, do you, how do you marry those two? How do, you, how do you help people understand that? This is why I do not like the affirmation that the Bible is inerrant. Now, I think a lot of people use that as, a, as kind of the way to test somebody's conservatism. But I, I think that is not a good way. I think trustworthy is a much better way than inerrant because, well, people say, well, it's inerrant in the original manuscripts. Well, brother, we don't have an original manuscript of any Old Testament or New Testament document. And we're hand copied 200 years away. Right. And 5,000 copies plus of the of Greek New Testament parts right. of it. No two of them agree. Which one's inerrant? Right. Huh. So the problem is we're overstating. But I think we need to say we have so many copies of the New Testament that the original text is in there. We're just not always sure which it is. So all of our English Bibles are based on what we call the uncial manuscripts of three to four to five hundred years away from Jesus. And there's there's really no uh, papyri manuscripts of the whole New Testament. So we have to say this. There are some errors, but none of those errors affect a major Christian doctrine. My little joke here is I'm talking about the end of the Gospel of Mark. Unless you believe that drinking poison and handling right. snakes is a major doctrine. Right. And the groups that believe that tend to get smaller and smaller. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very true. Yeah. I, for me, predictive prophecy is the key to give. And I usually go to Micah 5. A predictive prophecy hundreds of years before it happened, unexpected. Now, I'm not talking about apocalyptic or typology. Sure. I'm talking about predictive prophecy. Now, there is no book in the world that has predictive prophecy but the Bible. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, the accuracy of modern archaeology to, I guess, show us the historicity of the Bible. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is a historical book and it stands or falls on its historicity. But no archaeological discovery has ever uh, brought into question the basic truths of the Bible. And what an exciting time to be uh, interested in the scriptures in the sense of what we found, right? We're at the, I don't know if we're at the apex, but we're certainly climbing in the amount of information yeah. we continue to find about the scriptures. There is more, tr- there is more um, interpretive uh, of um, resources available to modern English speakers than have ever been in the history of the world. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the church is not using them. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I think, again, people who are searching have questions about the Bible and they, and they may go, hey, well, does the Bible really have all the answers? And maybe they yeah. see in kind of the the mainstream media, you know, talking heads, there's, there's scriptures that are used on both oh. sides of the political sphere and used to try to uh, explain authority for positions on complex issues. Does the Bible really have answers for all of our complex issues here in the 21st century? Uh, and if not, then, then what are we looking to the scriptures to apply for us? 
Well, this is where we got to say to people, you've got to know what the Bible says before you can know what it means. It's not fair to let somebody on TV proof text one verse out of context. Like the one that just kills me is you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free out of John. The truth in John is talking about Jesus, not about your political philosophy or your worldview. So you've got to pay the price to know the Bible for yourself. What peace there is in that, because when all this confusion comes, you know that this is an inappropriate use of the Bible. So the Bible, the Bible does not answer every modern question. What it does, it gives us a worldview. It shows us how God dealt with the nation and how God deals with individuals. And then we must find out what that meant to the original author and the original hearers and then allow some freedom in interpreting that based on that truth in the Bible. So this is where, unfortunately, there is no golden road to application. Yeah. And you, we have to allow some freedom here. But we're, we still have the right to say to anybody who claims to say this is what the Bible says, we have a right to say, have you read the context where you got that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. I think I I semi quoted you. I saw a tweet of yours once uh, that you talked about, you know, the um, the Bible doesn't advocate for uh, communism, just like it doesn't advocate for capitalism, capitalism. because neither sure. existed in the biblical times. Right. And um, right. and yet that those are some of the the those, you know, economic agendas, at least, are some of the greatest proponents of using scripture as an authoritative stance uh, in the 21st century. Right. And I think it's just helpful to go back to the context. I think what we've forgotten is that uh, it's quite clear from Romans 13 that any government Christians find themselves under, they must be obedient unless it violates the word of God and they must pray for its leaders. Now, there is no perfect government because there are no perfect people. Capitalism, if left unchecked, is very greedy and materialistic. A communism has a good philosophy, but it never works out with fallen people because yeah. they take advantage. So yeah. the problem is perfect people need to be saved and no election can solve the problems. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, and you mentioned it before. Is there, you know, you said, I think the Western or the, the American brand of Christianity, right? And, oh. uh, is there an American brand of Christianity? And if so, yeah. what, are, what are some of those characteristics if you come to? Well, I think in a hundred years, if Jesus doesn't come back, they're going to characterize this church. Historians will characterize this age as the what's in it for me, Christianity. Yeah. Because we want to know, instead of joining a church where our gift is needed, we want to join a church where they take care of our kids. They feed us good on Wednesday night. Pastor always gets through at 12 so I can see the football game. Yeah. It's all this me, 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 me. What can you do for me? And of course, this is the plague of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preaching, which turns the gospel into what I get out of it. Yeah. The trick is the gospel says you need to die to self and serve me. We are given for the health of the body. We are not given for more more for me. Right. Well, and I think you're exactly right. It's the it's the marriage of our individualism over the last whatever I don't know hundred years as we've evolved as a, uh, a right. people here in the West, and then and then our consumerism that's kind of tied into that, right? And uh, how we've all been yeah. spiritually formed uh, through you know spiritual form. I love. Uh, I think it's um, 
uh, I can't remember his name, Dallas Willard. He said, you know, spiritual uh, formation happens for everybody. You know, it's just whether or not you're aware of it, right? That, uh, that there's a spiritual formation happening for us outside of the church all the time that's now shaping our view of relationship with the church, right? Yes, I'm just, uh, I'm just appalled that we've turned Christianity in the West into a ticket to heaven yeah. that has no daily component. Yeah. Um, I, I am just appalled. I think Western Christianity is the most shallow Christianity the world has ever known. Yeah. Well, I, I can't disagree with you as a whole on the trend. And at the same time, I think what I'm seeing, uh, at least in the, the, the folks that I'm working with, is that's created a hunger for if because, you know, to, to kind of leave it there, which I think many people will, and then they'll go and they'll pursue careerism or whatever, you know, what some other form of religion outside of the church or organized religion structure. Um, or maybe they do pursue another major religion in the world, but but they kind of drift back to this idea of Jesus because there's nothing else like him, right? There's no one else like him. And, and, and they're wanting now what's, you know, don't give me that version, that American version of Christianity, but give me, give me Christianity as it, um, as it is actually. And, and I think what I'm seeing now is, you know, that's the, the people that are, um, that are serving the church as a whole the most are the people that are, are doing these deep dives into text right now. Uh, I agree. that I don't know if they would have been, I don't know if they would have made it, you know, 20 years ago in a pulpit position, preaching for an hour out of a, a deep dive into commentary, but, or maybe they would have, cause, cause that's what you were doing 20 years ago. You know, that's what you've been doing for a long yeah, time. I think God's people are hungry for God's book. Really and are. What we've got to say to Christians is the goal of Christianity is not heaven when you die, but Christ likeness now. That's right. And that we were saved to serve the body, the, the, Christianity is a corporate experience and the headwinds of a individual society are blowing really hard because I like the, the first Corinthians 13 verse seven and 11, where it says we're all gifted and we're gifted for the common good. These spiritual gifts are not merit badges to compare one another. They are servant towels for us to serve each other. Yeah. And we have missed that in the Sunday, Sunday only, me only, what's in it for me version of Western Christianity. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think one of the things that's helped me, again, personally, just in my own journey in this, this faith is um, taking, you know, learning of the rabbi-disciple relationship Right, that that was um, that wasn't an information transfer. That that wasn't Jesus sitting and giving a lecture. That was an apprenticeship. It was walking right. with Jesus. It was. I mean, they spent right. hours and days following him, listening to him, paying attention, studying his every move, and and then in t in, um, uh, trying to imitate that as best they can, because. He is the key to the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? He is. The well, that's why uh, that's why seminaries today, I think, are ineffective because they don't teach the practical aspect. Mm. Um, that's why many larger churches have gone to in-house seminaries, which is focused on the practical ministry and not just on theology. Yeah. For me to be able to outline uh, a liberalism in Europe of the last 200 years is not really what I need when there's conflict in the local church, yeah. right? Yeah. What we've done is we've, we've prepared people for a lecture and we've per not prepared them for this interpersonal relationships in a fallen world with people yeah. who are hungry. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, Bob, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Uh, I'm wondering if you could just leave us, for, for those who are new to the Bible, who are new to this whole idea of interpreting the scriptures, and they, they, they desire to do it well. And I know you gave six things, and maybe even those feel a little intimidating uh, for some of our listeners right now. Where, where can people start uh, in, in getting down into the context? And, and Well, thank, thank you for asking that. Yeah. What I have done on my website, freebiblecommentary.org, the first red box on the homepage is a 13-hour video seminar on Bible interpretation with a free notebook. And then I give five applications of how that works in Romans and Ephesians. Now, if you're really hungry of how to do this and how to know this, I think that will help. And again, I want to say I am not trying to get you to agree with me or be my denominational clone. No, no, no. I want to give you the freedom to study the Bible for yourself and not be trapped by what someone tells you it says, yeah. but to give you the tools to do it yourself. So I would recommend that, I think. And it's this is a long term process. There is no magic bullet on this. I would say to new Christians, once you see this video, pick a small New Testament book like Colossians. Don't pick Jude. It'll kill you. Pick Colossians or, or Titus. Run this program through a small book. And I not what the what they're preaching on Sunday. You yourself have a quiet time, a quiet place. Yeah. Get you a study Bible because a study Bible can give you all six things that I said if you learn how to use it. So. This is just a screaming passion of mine. I do not want to make uh, little bobs out of people, but I do want to make Bible readers yeah. uh, out of people that they go to the scripture themselves. And if someone says to them, why do you believe that? They can show them from the Bible why they believe that. Yeah. Well, Bob Utley, it is uh, it has been a great honor to speak with you. you. It's a special treat for me. I just I respect and uh, you know, so much your your passion for the scriptures, your humility towards the scriptures, and uh, certainly your expertise and in, in, and your desire to want to help give that away. Uh, I think is oh, really inspiring. So do. thank you for being with us today. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Y'all have a good day. Thanks you too. <laughs>